0: Welcome to the Dogwood Podcast, a presentation of Dogwood Church. For more information, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org. Join us now as Pastor Keith Moore shares today's message. Thank you, John. Good morning. Happy Easter. Glad you're here. If you've got your Bibles, and I hope you do, we use them every week, your hard copy or maybe a digital copy on your smartphone or your iPad, uh, turn to the gospel of Matthew. We're going to jump in to the Easter story. And I want to accomplish a couple of things in the next 20 minutes or so. Uh, I want to tell you the Easter story. You know, there are several accounts in the Bible uh, of what happened on, uh, from the time that Jesus was buried until 40 days l- later when He ascended. Uh, into the heavens, uh, the four gospel writers—Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John—the first four books of the New Testament—and then the Apostle Paul uh, also gives a little bit of an account of a historical account uh, back over in his letter to his first letter uh, to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen. And these are like uh, five uh, eyewitnesses to an event. Uh, if there were five of us that witnessed a. a an event, and we were asked to report on it, we would all write out our story, and we would have seen different things. We would have, we would have seen some of the same things, and then we would have all probably witnessed some aspects of the event uh, that only we noticed. Well, that's one of the great uh, things that God did when He inspired uh, holy men of old, as the Bible says, to to pen His words. Uh, when it comes to the account of the Easter story, we get a big picture. I want to take those five, at least those five sources and combine them into the story to walk through and help us understand what exactly happened uh, on that resurrection Sunday in the 40 days following concerning the appearances of Jesus. I think I'm giving you at least eight. Uh, Scholars say there were probably at least 11 appearances of Jesus after Uh, the resurrection. But I'm going to give you the main eight that we uh, discover here. But more importantly, once we get to the end, I want to answer the question, so what? So what? Okay, so Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, His appearance proved it historically. So, So what? Just a moment ago we sang and several of our Uh, worship leaders prayed something like this, Lord, thank you that the tomb is empty and because of that we are free. Whoa, that's a jump. Now what? Now the tomb is empty and I am free? What what happened between the tomb empty and I am free? How did that make me somehow free? Free from what? What kind of free? Um, So I want to connect the dots. And uh, whether you believe any of this or not, uh, I, I want you to see at least what the Bible uh, clearly claims as to what happened and why it matters, why Easter matters. So you ready? Buckle up. I'm going to sprint through this, and, um, and here we go. Last week, we unpacked the meaning of, of the cross, and we talked about what happened, uh, the plotting of the execution of Jesus and Him to the point of Him dying on the cross and what that means. If you'd like to know what that means, you can go to our website and either view it or listen to it, On the download the podcast and listen to that explanation. But we're going to pick it up at the death of Jesus and move forward. So you with me? You ready? Okay, there we are. Well, it's Friday afternoon, late on Friday afternoon, the Jewish uh, people of the day called that day the Day of Preparation, that meant it was their there, uh, in the practice of the Jewish, ancient Jewish faith, Friday was the day that they prepared for the Sabbath, the observance of the Sabbath. It was the day of preparation. Jesus died mid-afternoon on the cross uh, on that Friday afternoon. It was getting later in the day. Now remember in the, in the, the Jewish week, uh, the day ends at sunset and the new day begins. And so it's late on the day. The Sabbath is going to begin at sunset on Friday, approximately 6 p.m. Well, according to the teachings of the Hebrew Scriptures uh, through Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 21, accordingly the Hebrews did not want any bodies hanging on the cross, no dead bodies exposed on the Sabbath on the Sabbath. And so there was, a, there was a concern there. Well, a man named Joseph from a little town called Arimathea. Now, there, there are several Josephs in the Bible. There's the Joseph in the book of Genesis whose brothers sold him into slavery and he ended up being prime minister of the uh, most powerful nation in the world, Egypt. It's not that Joseph. There's the Joseph we know as the Marian Joseph, the earthly father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is not that Joseph. This is another Joseph. This is, this is all we know of this man. Joseph was from a town called Arimathea. Scholars are uncertain where that little Jewish town was. They assume it was in the region of Judea, probably not far from Jerusalem. But Joseph was, the Bible tells us, was a good man. He was a rich man. He was a righteous man, meaning in the sense of the Bible term righteous, not self-righteous. Righteous Righteous meaning by the grace of God, uh, rightly related to God. He wanted to walk with God. He was a righteous man and he was an influential man. He was a man who was seeking the kingdom of God, the Bible says. Now that that means that he was a man who was longing for uh, the reign and the rule of God on earth. Uh, If we use the the model prayer that the Lord Jesus taught us. He was a man who was hoping for uh, God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the kind of man that he was. He was also a politically powerful man. He was a member of the Jewish council called the Sanhedrin. Now some of you will know that the Sanhedrin was a very powerful uh, religious and political body that the occupying Roman government uh, allowed to have some autonomy over the life of the Jews in Palestine at the day and they uh, they were led by the Jewish high priest. Yes, this was the very same religious body who plotted uh, the execution of Jesus and saw that it was carried out, convinced the Roman ruler Pilate to allow that execution to take place. Well, Joseph of Arimathea Arimathea was a member, one of the 71 members of the Sanhedrin, yet he did not agree with their plan to execute Jesus. He voted against it, And, and, and the reason being, he had secretly become a follower of Jesus. He became convinced that he was who he claimed to be that He was the Messiah, that He was the Christ, that He was the, the one who would deliver Israel and save humanity from their sins. He had secretly become a follower of Jesus and He was a secret follower because He was intimidated. To Him, at times, God was small and people were big. You know, we have that problem. It's called peer pressure. We're more concerned about human beings than we are about God. He says He was afraid of the po- other powerful Jews uh, who were members of the Sanhedrin. Yet Joseph of Arimathea openly and publicly came to Pilate, who was the Roman ruler uh, of that region, and asked permission to take the body of Jesus down from the cross uh, before the Sabbath day uh, began. And uh, and Pilate agreed. He gave him permission uh, to take the body of Jesus away. Now, Joseph was accompanied by a man named... Nicodemus. Yes, this is the same Nicodemus that we find way back over in the very first part of the Gospel of John, John chapter three, who was also a very influential Jewish man. He was a Hebrew scholar, Hebrew Scriptures, the uh, a, a, a an expert in the in the Hebrew Scriptures, what you and I would know as the Old Testament of the day. He was a teacher of Israel. He too was a member of the Sanhedrin. He recognized, he's one of the first people in power who recognized early on there's something unique about this man, Jesus. And because he was a little intimidated, he came under the cover of darkness to meet Jesus and ask Him, he said, it's it's obvious that you're a man of God, a teacher sent from God, Uh, explain to me spiritual things. And Jesus, in that very conversation, gave him and us arguably the most memorable and powerful of the scripture verses in scripture John 3:16 Jesus said to Nicodemus for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life that conversation it is that Nicodemus who came under the cover of darkness but here he comes openly and publicly with Joseph of Arimathea uh, to say, we, we will take, can, may we have the body of Jesus. Uh, Joseph, uh, Nicodemus also came uh, with seventy-five pounds of a mixture of myrrh and aloes. It was a a, a mixture, a ointments that were used in the preparation of uh, bodies according to Jewish custom for burial. Seventy-five pounds of this stuff was very expensive. Seventy-five pounds was the amount that was used commonly for the preparation uh, of the burial of a king. Interesting. Interesting. So, according to Jewish custom, they took the body of Jesus and right near where He was crucified, there was a garden. And there was a garden tomb that uh, was owned by Joseph. It had recently been prepared and some of you traveled. How many of you traveled to that part of the world and seen uh, the the empty tomb? You've seen some of the tombs. Few of you have. You know, in that part of the world, it's rocky and hilly and and uh the ancient jews would 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 carve tombs into rocks and it 's not just like we bury people today you could kind of you could walk into them and and several people would be buried uh, usually they were created for wealthy families. Joseph had prepared one, no one had ever used it. Uh, they took the body of Jesus, took him to that garden tomb, and prepared him. Uh, wrapped him in fine, expensive linen cloth, uh, anointed the body with the uh, the ointments, the aromatic ointments uh, for burial, and then rolled the stone to close the tomb. Now, this is not a big round rock. This is just not like you could roll like a ball. Uh, in the ancient tombs of the Hebrews, uh, there would be prepared a, sort of like a millstone, but it would be anywhere from four to Seven to eight feet uh, in diameter and it 's kind of like a giant stone wheel, very very heavy and a and a a groove would be cut in the stones with a little dip in it, so that the stone could be rolled away opened when it needed to be, but you got you had to have some people with a little mm, to get to open the thing up. it was very very heavy, and uh when then it could be rolled into that little groove and it would seal. The tomb. Does that make sense? That's what we're talking about. So they sealed the tomb. While they were doing that, there were uh, some of the women who were followers of Jesus were observing. Mary Magdalene was one. Uh, she was the woman with a past. She was the woman who'd lived an immoral life. Who came to Christ? Uh, he uh, was saved. She became a follower of Christ. He transformed her life. The Bible says he cast seven demons out of her. Mary was there watching. There was another Mary. Uh, Mary, the mother of uh, James and and Joseph. Now, there are several Marys in the Bible, right? There's there's the most famous Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus. She's neither one of these. So these two Marys were there, and along with some other women, Joanna was named one, uh, another was named Salome. There were others that were unnamed that they were observing this. And then sunset, and the Sabbath begins, and everybody goes their way. And the followers of Jesus are grieving. So we have sunset on Friday evening. The Sabbath begins. Saturday begins. All the way through the Sabbath, 24 hours, to sunset on Saturday. The Sabbath ends. The first day of the week begins, Sunday. Well, about 6 p.m. on the Sabbath... uh, the jewish leaders got an audience with pilate the roman ruler and they said while that liar was still here on earth he said he said many times something like this you're going to they're going to kill me but 3 days later i'm going to come back from the dead and so we're afraid that his followers may steal the body away and then spread this lie that he's come back from the dead so would they requested that pilate seal the tomb. That meant seal it with the Roman seal. They said, there's some authority here. No one can just open this without Roman authority. And he posted Roman soldiers, uh, the equivalent of Navy seals today. They were were the most uh, well-trained soldiers in the world at the time. They were guarding the tomb. And Pilate said, that's okay. Well, sometime Sunday night, in the night, in the dark, all of a sudden an earthquake came and the, the the earth was rocking and reeling there at the tomb as the angel of God descended from heaven, rolled the stone away. You know, angels have no problem with that. They're pretty awesome, the Bible says. Rolled the stone away and sat on it. The Bible says his garments were gleaming like white and he was so bright that he took on the appearance of lightning, scared the soldiers to death. They actually passed out. So they became as dead men. They weren't dead, they just looked dead. Sometime in the night, evidently, they woke up, realized the stone is opened while things have happened and they scattered. They scattered. They went to the Jewish high priest and rulers and told them what had happened. And here's what the leaders did. They came up with a plan. They got a large sum of money and they gave it to the soldiers. And they said, "Um, here's what we want you to say. His disciples came while we were sleeping and stole the body away. Now imagine how ridiculous that is. You remember the disciples, they were a bunch of ex-commercial fishermen. Never been trained in any kind of warfare. All they knew how to do was fish. They'd become followers of Jesus. And so they're going to come and they're going to overcome the Navy SEALs. Right? Sure. And, of course, all Navy SEALs just go to sleep while they're supposed to be on duty. Right? 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 Yeah. But the, the, but the, the soldiers were so rattled by this activity of God's angel that they said, Oh, okay. And so they bribed them to say that. And they said, now, if, if, you, if you're accused of going to sleep, going to sleep on your watch, uh, we'll, ca- we'll take care of you. We'll take care of you. And the Bible says that that story that the disciples came and stole the body away that was concocted by the Jewish leaders still circulates today. And it does still circulate today. Early on Sunday morning, while it's still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb by herself still in the dark. She's grieving. She's weeping. And she approaches. No soldiers are there. No one's there. But the stone's been rolled away. Well, it just disturbs her. It looks like someone, there've been some grave robbers there. And she's weeping. And so she she quickly turns and runs back into uh, the city to the room, the upper room where the eleven and the other followers of Jesus were staying, and she said, "They've the stone's been rolled away, and they I don't know we don't know what they've done with his with this body." She told Peter and John. Well, Peter and John ran to the tomb. John outran Peter, and he got to the tomb and he stooped over to peek in. Remember, it's dark. You know, there's no lights in there. It's 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 dark, and he's peeking in. Peter runs right on in and starts looking for the body. Uh, The Bible says. Now it says he he said, "Why is he looking for the body? The body's not there. Well, it's dark in there. I mean, it's a big tomb. You could. He's feeling around in there, looking for the body. There's no body in there. And so they left. They were confused. They did not understand what had happened. But Mary stayed, and she was weeping. And as she turned away, Jesus appeared. This is his first appearance. You can jot that down. First appearance, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene right there uh, she didn't recognize him she thought he was the gardener the keeper of the garden and she so she turned to him and said mister if you where is he if you've taken his body will you tell me so that i can care for his body and he called her by name mary and he, she recognized his voice he's called many of you by name hasn't he you recognized his voice yeah and she she immediately uh Worshipped him. She immediately fell to her feet and he said, Now don't cling to me. I've not yet ascended to my father. You go tell my brothers uh, that I have risen and that I am going to meet them in Galilee. So she runs back into, you know, there's a whole lot of running back and forth uh, in this time. You know, there were no cell phones, no texting, no phones. That's the best, it probably had better communication than we do today, actually. So she runs back again to the room and says, I have seen the master. And she told him what happened, but the disciples didn't believe her. They did not believe her. Well, it's a little bit later on Sunday morning. The other group of women come at the crack of dawn. There's a little bit of daylight there. Um, The other Mary, Mary the mother of James who was a disciple, James the Lesser, not the primary, uh, the more prominent disciple named James. You know, there were two of the twelve named James. This is James the Lesser, uh, the Bible says. That Mary and a few of the others came, and they were bringing. uh, They also brought burial uh, spices to further prepare his body. Now I don't know whether they watched men do it, and they thought they probably didn't do it right, and uh, they were going to follow up. Mike, I don't know about that, but anyway, they did. They came, and they were wondering on the way out there, who's you know how are we going to get this done, and who's going to roll the stone away for us because we're too weak to do so. They got there, and the stones rolled away, and so they just walked right in. Well, inside, suddenly, two angels appeared, one sitting at the foot of the place where Jesus' body was laid, one sitting at the head where Jesus' body uh, was laid. And they spoke to the women. They said, now, there's nothing to fear here. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you looking for a living one in the cemetery? He has risen just as He said He would. Now, quickly, go on your way and tell the disciples, especially Peter, He's risen from the dead and He's going ahead of you to Galilee, just like He said that He would. Well, the women, women, here we go, some more running back and forth, I mean, deep in wonder. They got out of there as quickly as they could, ran back into Jerusalem, uh, ecstatic, and they went to the room again where the eleven and the other followers of Jesus were there. They were afraid for their own lives. And they told them, we too have seen the Master. We have seen the Master. Well, I forgot, second appearance. Jesus appeared to them on the way. Sorry, back up a a little bit. Jesus appeared to them and greeted them, and they fell and worshipped Him. And He said, go on and tell the disciples. They got there and said, we also have seen the Master. So two times the disciples have heard this story, but they didn't believe her. They didn't believe this group either. They thought they were just making this up. Well, there's a third appearance of Jesus, this time uh, to two of the disciples. Late on Sunday afternoon, there were two disciples of Jesus who were walking uh, on the road to the little town called Emmaus. Now, Emmaus was seven or eight miles outside the city walls of Jerusalem, and they were discussing all that had taken place. And Jesus appeared and came alongside them and began to walk with Him, but they did not recognize Him. And He said, what are you talking about? And one of them named Cleopas said, are you the only person in the world who's not heard what's going on in Jerusalem the past few days? Jesus the Nazarene, mighty of God, a prophet of God, um, we thought He was the Messiah, uh, was, was falsely arrested and executed. And now Some of the women in our group said that they actually saw him this morning. It's all confusing. And the Bible says he walked all the way to Emmaus and sat down uh, at the the meal uh, with them. And he opened the Scriptures and began to explain things from the Scriptures. And then he took bread and broke it, and they recognized him. It was the Master. And he disappeared. He left them. He left them. Well, guess what? A little bit more running back and forth. They jump up and they run back the six, the seven, or eight miles to Jerusalem to the place where the eleven and the other followers of Christ were gathered behind closed doors again, because they were afraid for their own lives at this point. And they said, "We have seen the Master. He walked with us on the road to Emmaus. Our hearts burned within us as he explained the scriptures to us. We have we have seen him." And while they were saying all this, Jesus appeared. To the disciples this is the fourth appearance of Jesus he appeared and greeted them peace be with you he said well they they were afraid they thought they were seeing a ghost they thought they were seeing a ghost and he said no um, no 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 don't be afraid look look at my hands I'm not a ghost this is me in a physical being here's my here's my body here are the nail prints in my hands here here are uh, the nail uh, prints in my in my feet, and they were still unsure as to what was going on, and so He said, do you have any food? And so they had a piece of fish left over from supper. He took the piece of fish and He ate it as if to say, see a ghost doesn't have muscle and bone and doesn't eat food. It's Me, physically risen from the dead. Well, one of the disciples was missing. Can anybody know who was missing? Thomas. And we call him what? Doubting Thomas. Now, let's don't be too tough on Thomas. I'd be a little uh, shaky about these things too, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. Some of you are still doubting. And, uh, I understand. Well, Thomas was not with them. He came after Jesus had left from that appearance. And they're all talking at the same time and telling him that the Lord had been there. They had seen him. He was alive from the dead. And Thomas said, I just can't believe it. I, I, until I see the, the 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 nail-pierced hands and feet and I put my hand in his side where that spear pierced his side, I'll just not believe it. Well, eight days later, the following Sunday, Thomas is in the upper room with the disciples and Jesus appeared again. And he paid all of his attention to Thomas. This is his fifth appearance. Uh, And so he said, Thomas... Take your finger and examine my hands. Take your hand and stick it in my side. Don't be unbelieving. Believe. And Thomas gave the most amazing, brief, powerful testimony to Jesus in history. He just fell to his knees and declared this, My Lord and my God. My Lord, my owner, my master, my savior, and my God. Declaring... You know, he understood Jesus claimed to be God, and Thomas declared, I believe you are God, come in the flesh, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said something interesting to me. He said, so you believe because you've seen with your own eyes. Even better blessings are in store for those who believe without seeing. Every one of you in this room who are believers in Jesus, you believed without physically seeing Him. Greater blessings, he says, are in store for those who believe in me yet don't see yet. But the day's coming when you you will. Well, there was a sixth appearance. Remember, Jesus had told them that he was going to meet them in Galilee. And so sometime following these appearances, they had gathered uh, in Galilee. Seven of the disciples were together, Simon Peter. uh, Let's see, Simon Peter... Thomas, Nathaniel, uh, the Zebedee brothers, James and John, and two other disciples, seven of them were together by the Sea of Galilee. And remember, their background is in commercial fishing. So they're in Galilee waiting on Jesus and, and they had some time on their hands. And so Peter says, I'm going fishing, let's go. And so they got in the boat and I remember commercial fishermen on the Sea of Galilee fished at night, they did night fishing. They went out, fished all night, didn't catch a thing, and as the sun was coming up, they were were coming back to shore, and about a hundred yards away from the shore, they noticed a man standing on the shore, and he shouted to them Now what do you do when you see somebody who's been fishing and you're by a lake? Got any fish? How's the fish? I mean, we always want to know, did, uh, can we see them? Did somebody, did you catch? So this guy's, hey, how was, did you catch anything for breakfast? And they shouted, no, we didn't catch a thing. And then Jesus did something that was reminiscent of all the way back in Luke chapter 5 when He called the disciples to begin with. If you'll remember, Jesus had been teaching by the Sea of Galilee, sitting in a boat, and when he was finished, he got in Simon Peter's boat, and he said, hey, "I want to do a little. I want to go. I want to go fishing. Row us out." And Simon Peter said, "Well, Lord, you know we fished all night and we didn't catch anything. You know you're supposed to fish at night. It's morning now." And he said, "Well, let's let's go." And he said, "Okay." And so they got in the boat and went out. And uh, Jesus said, "I think we should drop the nets here on this side of the boat." And he said, "We're fishermen. But, okay, you're the you're the Lord." And so. They dropped the net, and immediately the net was so full of fish that the nets broke. It was a miracle. So here they are. Did you catch anything for breakfast? No. Drop your nets on the other side. And and the seven looked at each other in the boat and said, That sounds familiar. Who is this guy? They dropped the notes, and immediately the nets were full of large fish. Fish and they said, "It's the Lord." It's the Lord. Peter dove in to swim to shore. He didn't wait. The rest rowed the boat in, pulling the net uh, full of fish. They got there, and Jesus had breakfast prepared: fish and bread, cooking on the fire. And then he he again before them took the bread and broke it, took the fish and broke it, and served them. And they're remembering. They're remembering when he did the very same thing. Uh, when he fed the 4,000 and when he fed the 5,000 with just a little bit of bread and a little bit of fish and even took time to fully restore Peter into fellowship. That was the sixth appearance. There's a seventh appearance uh, that we find of Jesus while they were in Galilee on the mountain in Galilee. The 11 disciples headed for the mountain with others. Uh, This was probably Mount Tabor. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 6 tells us that 500 followers of Jesus made the journey to be on the mountain with Jesus that day and they all saw Him at the same time. It was there where Jesus gave the great commission, we believe, in Matthew chapter 28 where He said to them, "'All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and disciple all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you at all times until the very end of the age. And then there's an eighth appearance. Finally, back in Jerusalem, 40 days later, we find in the book of Acts chapter 1, Bill, go back there and stick your head back there and tell them that uh, be quiet. How's that? There, there you go. Thanks. That'll help me. Sorry, we're back now. <clears throat> I'm hearing conversations. Could y'all hear them back there? Is it just me? Okay, thanks for saying that. <laughs> thanks. I thought I'd just interrupted the whole sermon just for me. So here we go. Finally, 40 days later, 40 days later. Uh, Jesus, back in Jerusalem, took the eleven, walked out to the Mount of Olives, appeared again, and there He said to them, Now, don't leave Jerusalem. I want you to stay here until the Father sends the Holy Spirit, just as He promised. And they said, Lord, are you going to at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And He said, that's not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, the eighth appearance. So, so what? What does that mean? Well, let me tell you what that means. Here's why that's important. Here's what it means, three things. The resurrection of Jesus from the, from the dead means this. It proves, number one, that Jesus has the power that he claimed to have. I'm sorry, let's do another one first. I want to talk about this one first. Jesus is who He claimed to be, God. It proved that He was God. He said in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me will live even though He dies. The resurrection, if He did not rise from the dead, He was not who He claimed to be. But He had the power over death. Who has the power over life and death? Only God. It proves that He is who He claimed to be. Second, it proves that He has the power that He claimed to have. And how much was that? Matthew 28, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. He has the power to forgive sin. He has the power to give abundant and eternal life. He has the power that He claimed to have. It also proves that He does what He promises He'll do. In Mark chapter 10, verse 34, the Bible says, they will mock and flog and kill me but after 3 days i will come back to life again you can count on him he does what he promises he will do and because these things are true first of all your past can be forgiven we've all done things we wish we had not done we've all said things we wished we had not said we've we've had a condition of heart that is detrimental we we are we have a sin problem that we can do nothing about in and of ourselves, but because of Jesus in the resurrection, our sin can be completely forgiven by God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 14 says this, He has forgiven all our sins and canceled every record of the debt we owed. Christ has done away with it by nailing it to the cross. Because Jesus was nailed to the cross, you can stop nailing yourself to the cross. The Bible says, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, well, I'm not worthy of this. Of course not. It, these are not wages that God gives you. He does. He's not in your debt. He loved you so much that while you were still a sinner, He died for you. He loved me so much that while I was still a sinner, He died for me. He made a way, and the resurrection proves that your past can be forgiven. He has the power to do so. Second, Because of the resurrection, your present problems can be managed. Now, we all have problems. Some of you are facing incredible financial problems. Some of you are facing life-threatening physical problems. Some of you are in the midst of heart-rending relationship problems. None of them are too big for Jesus. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 says, "'How incredibly great is His power.'" to help those who believe Him. The same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead. The resurrection, His resurrection power, He says, I am available to help you with whatever you're facing. And He'll do one of two things. He will either deliver you out of your problems, which He might do that, or He will sustain you in the midst of your problems. So which will He do? I don't know. Whichever he knows is best. He, whichever he knows is best. He, your present problems can be managed. And third, because of the resurrection, your life after death can be secured. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, We have been born again to a life full of hope through Christ's rising from the dead. And I want you to experience these things. Pray with me. Just right where you are, turn the place where you're seated... Into your own personal private place of prayer. You do that. And for some of you, your heart's kind of been beating fast and you've been listening to this, and there's a sense that something's going on in your spirit and you might not understand what it is. This is the Spirit of God, of the Lord Jesus, as He said in the Scriptures, knocking at the door of your heart, convincing you of your need for a Savior that He is that Savior and seeking to to urge you to commit your life to Him, well, you can do so right now. Some of you are ready to do so. And if you are, why don't you right now, from your heart, in your own words, cry out to God and say something like this, Lord Jesus, I understand for the first time. And I admit to you that I am a sinful person with a sinful past. And I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. And so I believe you are that Savior, that you died on the cross in my place, paid the penalty for my sin, and rose from the dead, proving that you have the power to do so, that you're alive today to help me. And so, to the best of my understanding, I commit my past, my sin my control of my life and my eternity into your hands and i ask that you give me your gift of abundant life here and eternal life there i give you my life i become your follower i make you my master my owner my leader and you my god Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. For more information about Dogwood Church, visit www.dogwoodchurch.org.